Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Hello, good morning. Does anyone else find it just a little bit ironic that the morning we're talking about fear of heights is the morning we baptize people way up there? (laughs) I have some good news for you. If any of you have uh, been putting off baptism because you are afraid of heights and you don't want to go up there, we actually have four other campuses where you can be baptized at, and they are all on the ground. So if... (laughs) I just kind of thought about that as we were baptizing up there. It's so good to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, As Pastor Lorel said, my name is Jonathan, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here, be able to share God's word with you while Pastor Larry is uh, out. And normally at this point in the service, this is where I'd ask everybody to stand to read God's word. I want to do something just a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask you uh, to stay seated. Two reasons. One, I'm going to read a little more than we normally do. I really only need the last three verses of what I'm about to read, but just the portion before as Paul's writing, and he kind of sets up those last three verses. It's just so uh, colorful, so vivid. I I want us to to hear all all of what Paul has to say. The other reason why is uh, normally nowadays I'd ask you to like read along or you could follow along on the screen or something like that. But when I read this for this morning, I just want you to just close your eyes. Now, if you're worried about if I'm going to slip something else in there or something like that, write it down, the verses I'm going to read, and you can go back and fact check them for me after the service. I promise. But what what I want you to do is just close your eyes and just focus everything you have, not on your Bible, not on the person next to you, not on the screen, not on anything else, but just on Jesus Christ. And just allow these words to really kind of sink in this morning. Our text this morning is from... Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 23. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through, the de- through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free, and 
free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. Lord, we are thankful, God, for your presence, Lord, that we can feel in a real, tangible way here this morning. Lord, we ask not for the words of a clever, created sermon, Lord, but that the creator himself would speak words of life into our spirits, God. Lord, that you would breathe life into us as you did a new creation, that your wind would blow over us as you gave birth to your church. Lord, we ask for you to speak this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I talk about a fear of heights. Fear of heights. Now, I myself, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself afraid of heights, but I know many of you in here maybe would. And some of the, the reasons why I wouldn't say is like some of the stereotypical things that somebody would be afraid of heights, like flying. I'm not afraid of flying. I'm not afraid of roller coasters, uh, those kind of things. But I can definitely understand why somebody would be afraid of heights. And the reason why I see this, a couple months ago, uh, we, I was changing over in the, the youth building some projector light bulbs. And in order to do this, I had to be up on this lift. This lift is called the Handy Herman. It's a great name. It's kind of funny. But when this, this lift, it's, it's pretty solid. It's really secure. You got these little arms that you extend out on the side to make sure it doesn't go one way or the other. And it, you feel pretty safe in there. This little chain, you know. I don't really get why the chain's there, because if something bad goes on, I mean, the chain's not going to help you. But uh, it, when you get, say, about 20, maybe 25 feet, I'm not sure exactly how high those projectors are, but it kind of starts to get a little wobbly. Now, I wouldn't say I was afraid, because, I mean, I'm a man. I'm 32 years old. I'm not afraid. But... But it kind of starts to go a little bit from side to side, a little bit shaky, and I start to look down. Did I actually put those little extension arms out, you know? But I can't let anyone see me, see me, see me afraid. I'll tell you a, a really funny story about that. Uh, that same exact lift, we have some interns here at the church, and one of them, he's interning under uh, Pastor Jonathan Siebert, who's our children's pastor. And uh, he was changing some light bulbs about two weeks ago or so. And he had told us already that he really was afraid of heights. And this, this handy hermit, it has two sets of controls. One control is up in the basket where you hit this little lever and it goes up and then you can hit it and it goes down. But then there's also a set of controls down on the ground. And so what any good mentor would do to his intern as he is up about 20 feet high, very safe, the arms are extended out, is he actually leaves the building. We're sitting there talking, and he leaves the building and goes around the other side to another door that's almost right underneath where uh, he's changing those light bulbs. And without him knowing, he goes over there, and all he does is that little button that begins to lower it. He just kind of, oh, man. Oh, that, that lift, it kind of just went down just a little bit. He, man, 
he said he was starting to pray and all kinds of, oh, help me. It was so hilarious. But many of us, we're afraid of, of heights. We, we don't want to fly because we're afraid of heights. We don't want to uh, ride roller coasters or uh, uh, maybe there's uh, some... Some people, you guys see the people do cliff diving and stuff like that, where you're jumping up this cliff into the water. Many of our teenagers did that when two years ago we were on the Bahamas mission trip. I didn't do it, not because I'm afraid of heights, but because I wanted to set the example. And I thought I shouldn't, I thought I shouldn't do that because it looked dangerous. Afraid of heights are foundation begins to little, get a little bit shaky. And we're a little worried about what we're standing on. And we begin to question, you know, am I really going to make it? Is it, this thing really safe and secure? And kind of the same kind of questions begin to establish with our faith. About the, the foundation that, we're, that we're, we're standing on. Is it really firm? Is it really secure? Is it shifting back and forth? But as we sing about through the majority of this time we've spent together this morning, we can be secure and safe in knowing that we have a cornerstone that our entire relationship with Christ is built on and it's Christ himself. We build our faith and our lives on Jesus Christ. So the question today is, how do we stay standing firm on Jesus Christ? How do we make sure that our, our foundation and, our, and what we are on is established and secure? It may seem a little too simplistic, but in the, in the verses that are read right there, it points to really three things. And also Paul in another writing, and as he's writing the church at Corinth, he points to these three things in a little more simplistic in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He tells us that God has given us three gifts that will help keep us secure and firm in our foundation that is Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. So this morning we're going to break down exactly what that, what that looks like. What does that look like for faith, hope, and love to keep us firmly planted and grounded in our faith in Jesus Christ? If you look at, at faith right there in verse 22 of what I read earlier, it says that God has presented you holy. God has presented you holy. And this idea of you being presented holy, the, the wording that's used there, this is a judicial term. This is uh, like in a, in a courtroom setting, as in God being the judge, and he's brought down the gavel. The judgment has been made. You are holy. Isn't that amazing? We, but then what happens? What happens to us is we're like, wait a minute, I'm holy. Yeah. And then like, wait a minute. He must not have heard about yesterday. He must have not seen how I behaved this morning when my kids didn't want to get ready for church. I'm not holy. And see, that's the thing is, is God being the judge when he, when, he, when he rules and he brings down this judgment saying, hey, you are holy, you are righteous. That, that judgment is firm and secure. And the, but the, the issue that we have is this kingdom that we're living in is this already not yet kingdom that we talked about in great detail a couple months ago. 
But see, already, right now, where you are now, as you stand before God, he sees you holy. You are holy. He, he's made the judgment. He's declared. The, he's saying, hey, you're innocent. You're innocent. I find you innocent. And then the not yet portion of that kingdom is I am still every day being transformed to be more and more like Jesus Christ, whose holiness is what I really have. This already not yet kingdom. See, now some people will use that judgment, that declaration that God has made that, hey, you are holy, not because what you did, but because what Jesus did as, well, I guess I could do whatever I want. The judge said, not guilty. But see, that very next verse starts off with a key word there. The very next verse, verse number 23 says, if. It says, if. It says, if you stay secure in your faith, if you stay established in your faith, if you persevere in your faith, if. You see, you can look at it like this. We, we all know that salvation is a gift from God. God gives us his grace. He gives us this holiness. He gives us this salvation. But this gift, just like any other gift you've ever received in your life, you have to keep it for it to continue to be yours. I mean, think about it. And next month is Christmas, in case you haven't noticed by all the music already on the radio and all the decorations everywhere. Next month is Christmas. Um, next month, if you receive a Christmas gift, it's yours. It's a free gift. You received it just because somebody wanted to give it to you. If you take that gift and you throw it away, if you give it to someone else, it's no longer yours, correct? The same is with our gift of salvation. We take it, we receive it. It's ours, but we hold on to it. We hold on to it. We persevere with it. We stay with it. We abide in Christ. That way that gift remains in me. See, what happens is all around us, we have this idea, this eroding faith. And, and, and Paul, he talks about this. And, and to, in order to prevent our faith from eroding away and being tossed aside from every wave and wind of doctrine that may come by, Paul, he, he talks about this Uh, He gives the metaphor of strength, of security, established and firm. See the picture of the house that Jesus talked about, the one built on the rock, which was established, firm, secure, safe. And the one built on sand, the house was built. But when everything came by, it wound up crumbling. Verse 21 said that at one time, You were alienated from God. It went so far as to say you were an enemy of God because of the evil inside of you that was sin. But now that he has reconciled you back to himself, he's quickened our sense of separation. He's made us realize the debt of sin that we are in. So the real problem comes in not in me trying to be holy or me trying to achieve something because it's already been given to me. The real issue becomes we have to begin to break through and tear away the disguise of sin. 
That's what's happening in our culture. That's what's been happening over and over and over. Satan, he moves in and he tries to disguise or repackage sin for us. You see, things that we used to call pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. If we were to say those very things out of our mouth, we would recognize them as evil and sin and we would try to stay away from them. But instead, sin comes along and it puts on a disguise. And it hides itself in things like self-expression, self-fulfillment, assertiveness, identity, taking care of me. And we get, begin to, with this disguise of sin, we be easily begin to justify adultery and immorality as expressions of personal freedom. We trample on the feelings of others to assert who we are. Our neurotic need to belong makes us envy everyone. And our accomplishments fill us full of pride. You see, the emptiness that we experience, the feeling that we're driven, our fear of relationships and our terror of the future, our hoarding of all of our talents and our resources, our extravagance and our waste are all symptomatic of the pool of sin, pool of sin and placing confidence in yourself. We began to place confidence in ourselves, but if Jesus is our savior, if Jesus is savior of our lives, then none of us are ever far from the reach of grace. If he's our Lord, then our lives have changed completely forever. And Jesus begins to dominate every aspect of my life, where I go, what I think about, what I talk about. And it be, our lives become Christ-centered and not me-centered. You can't stay grounded in Christ without being firmly grounded in a real, genuine faith. And if it's faith that keeps us grounded and keeps us with Christ I think that it's hope is what keeps us forever anchored in him. It's hope. In verse number 23, it said, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Not moved. It's a very secure statement there. Paul warns the Colossians in verse 23 not to drift away from the assurance that they received when they heard the message of Christ. Hey, don't drift away. And it gives this imagery of an anchor, this hope that's an anchor for my soul. I'm not going to drift away or get too far to the left or to the right away from this thing that gave me hope, Jesus Christ. I think in reality, in today's world, if you were to pull back the curtain of all the riots, of all the, the hate, of all the things that we see worldwide today, is that people are looking for hope. They're looking for hope. They feel that their, their, their hope is, is wound up in something else, though. And so they begin to think that their hope is, is inequality. That's going to be their hope. That their hope is maybe achieving the, the highest level of education possible. Their hope exists in advancing the agenda to save the planet for the future. 
Or maybe their hope is in this presidential candidate who can come and fix a government that doesn't seem to want to change. See, the problem with all those hopes, every single one of them, is they're temporary. It's a temporary hope. You see, you can place your hope in there today, but that temporary thing may not be here tomorrow. So then you got to go searching for a new hope. And then when that hope lets you down, I got to go look for a new hope and a new hope. And it's never ending. I'm constantly looking for the next thing that's going to bring me joy and bring me fulfillment to bring me hope. But the cool thing is the hope that God offers through Jesus Christ, that's eternal. That's an eternal hope. We just read, hey, the rock won't move. I'm not talking about the rock won't move while you're standing on it right now. The rock's never going to move. Your hope is always, forever, in Jesus Christ. See, when parents, they can't provide for their children, they struggle with shame. But there's a hope that God will always provide for your every need. People who've dealt with cancer for years and they feel discouraged at times. But there's a hope that God can heal you either in this life or the next. The loss of a loved one can bring about deep sorrow. But there's a hope that God offers that he'll wipe away every tear. And if they knew Jesus Christ, you'll see him again. There's this hope that we cling to this hope that's like a a lifeline that is anchoring us to Jesus Christ himself. The hope is often what launches, launches our faith. It's what launches us out into faith to begin with. The crazy thing is, is if there is no hope for the future, there will definitely be no faith for the future, much less faith to build the future. You see, hope is powerful. Hope is powerful. It, it, it's brought down cities. It's brought down nations. It's brought down uh, uh, countries and walls. It, it has been hope that has caused dreams to become realities. There is power in hope, and only God can give it. Proverbs 13 and verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. This phrase, hope deferred, you're like, well, I don't get it. What does that, what does that mean? Hope. See, we've all heard of David, the worshiper, the king, the warrior. See, there was a moment in David's life. See, he had already been uh, anointed as the next king over Israel, but there was a long span of time and all kinds of heartache and things he had to persevere through before he actually seen that come to, come to take place. You see, he had been accused at this one moment of actually going against King Saul and disrespecting King Saul. He had even had to avoid and flee for his life as Saul was throwing spears at this guy. Scripture finds him, and he is ran for his life. He's hiding in a cave. It seems as though all hope was lost. And this is where David comes along And this is going to sound kind of weird because we think when somebody's talking to themselves, they might be a little bit crazy. But David right here, he's going to talk to himself. And he's actually going to command his soul to hope in God. Psalms 42 and verse 11 
This is while he's in this cave running for his life. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Now, this is the good part. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, sometimes hope is a choice. Hope becomes a choice. You know, my marriage is really on the rocks. I just don't know what I'm going to do. No, 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 no. So you will hope. So you will hope. You will not give up. I command my soul that I will hope for restoration. The doctor's news wasn't what I wanted to hear. No, 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 no. You will hope. Sometimes we have to choose. We have to tell ourselves. We have to command our, soul, our souls. No, you will hope in the Lord, and I will praise him regardless. Maybe we start to get discouraged, and you're like, you know, this whole parenting thing's a little harder than I thought. Man, I might have messed this kid up. No, 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 no. I will hope. I will hope that the word of God will not return void. I will hope in those things that I've done in their life. I will. I command myself, command my spirit to put my hope in Jesus Christ and praise him throughout. Once you can do that, then this can be the prayer over your life. Romans 15 and verse 13, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by power of the Holy Spirit. How great is that when I, when I say, no, I will hope, not on my surroundings, not on the things I hear, not on the things I see, but I will hope in the promises of God, my foundation, my cornerstone, all joy and peace as we trust in him. You see, if faith keeps us grounded in Christ, and hope keeps us anchored in him, I think it's love that keeps us close to him. It's love that keeps us close to him. Turn to Ephesians chapter three, verse number 14. Paul's writing, he says, for this reason I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I've got to be rooted and established in love. This this metaphor drawing, this tree you can vision, the roots running deep in love. And established, bringing back some of the, the other words that Paul used to describe both faith and hope. Talking about a foundation, I'm established. Last week, Pastor talked about in the Greek, there's four different words for love. Now, our word for love has become, our, our vision of love has become very watered down because the, the same word we use to uh, ascribe uh, affection to our spouse 
we also use for our favorite dessert. And so there's a, there's a, a missing point there. And, and we talked about this agape love that's found in the New Testament described as a sacrificial love, the term used to describe God's action in sending Jesus Christ for us. See, agape love reaches out to people who don't deserve it. People who don't deserve a second chance, agape love reaches out to them. It puts the interests of others first. It forgives, it cares, and it redeems. And that's the, that's the, uh, the type of love that Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this agape love, this regardless of the circumstances love. See, when you love with agape love, then you're involved in something that will never end because it's a God type of love, agape love. And this is the only, a love that can only be found in Christ. The only way you're able to love people regardless of the circumstances is in Christ. It's a love which heals divisions. It levels the playing field for, for everyone. And it brings together the, the assurance of faith and the audacity of hope. They combine together with this agape Love. That's why the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. See, the thing is, is when everything that seems to be permanent is gone. Our buildings, our bureaucracies, our budgets, our books, our programs. When everything else is gone, love remains. Love endures forever. In Ephesians chapter 3, on verse number 18, it talked about with all the saints, with all the holy people. You see, the, the, the Bible, it knows nothing of this solitary religion. It knows nothing of this uh, lone ranger Christianity. You see, it's in the womb of the church where spiritual birth occurs. And it's in the fellowship and teaching of the church where we grow into maturity and become rooted and established in love. This solitary Lone Ranger Christianity you can't find in the Bible. And out of the deep and abiding joys of Christianity, love for one another, this mutual love for Jesus Christ, it's the unity that can bridge all of the divisions. Every opinion, every thing that wants to come in between us is this God type of love, this agape type of love. So when you're afraid of heights, when you're out on the edge of that cliff and you're looking out all by yourself, may your faith be established and firm. Let nothing move you from your hope and be rooted and established in love with Christ and with all the saints. You see, this last point, love, I think that's the one that we find it the hardest to comprehend. The hardest to understand how or why God would love people who are unlovable. How or why God actually shows this love. This isn't a new thing that we struggle to comprehend. 
Jesus was questioned and, 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 and tried and, and they set traps for him over and over and over, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. And I think when you get really down to the heart of most of those little confrontations and the majority of those issues, it's because those people, though they knew the scriptures, they could quote the scriptures, they knew all these things, they were following them, they knew the law, and they, they, they had seen God's work, they never understood the heart of God. They didn't comprehend that God's heart is to love. My favorite chapter in the whole Bible has been since I first got saved. My first message came out of that chapter. I love it. Luke chapter 15. These Pharisees and these Sadducees, they're, 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 they don't understand God's love for people. And so Jesus brings out these three amazing, elaborate stories. I'm sure many of you have heard them, maybe even often, the lost coin. You got the lost sheep, you got the lost son. And in these three different parables, Jesus basically is laying out, hey, guys, this is the heart of God. That there's people out there who are like the lost coin, who due to no, no reason in and of themselves, no actions that they've committed, no decisions that they've made, they're lost. You see, a coin doesn't decide to be lost. Someone has to misplace it or misuse it for it to become lost. There's people out there in this world that God created who were much like a sheep who has been lost. It simply just had his head down, eating grass, moving from green blade to green blade. Next thing you know, it looks up. It can't see the shepherd. It's gone. It's lost. And there's people like the lost son who say, you know what? I've been in the father's house. I don't like the father's house and I'm leaving. And there's people like the older brother who've been in the father's house so long that they forgot how good the father was. In all of these stories, Jesus, he's laying out this one simple thing. He's like, hey, guys, do you not get it? If you were to erase everything that you know about God and everything you know about the scriptures, it's really all about this one thing that God loves people. He loves people. There's many different kinds of people that don't deserve love. They're all lost. And God loves every one of them. As we conclude here this morning, the very heart of God is a love that is not deserved or earned but a love that keeps reaching out to those who are lost. It keeps reaching out. This morning, maybe you haven't put your faith in God. Maybe you've lost your hope. Or maybe your love's grown cold. Regardless of which one of those categories you fall into, like every single one of those parables, the Lord is seeking you today. He may be like the woman seeking that coin as you're lost. 
Maybe this morning he's the shepherd looking for you as you've wandered away. Or maybe he's ready to receive you with the loving embrace of a father who's been looking and waiting for you to return to home. Regardless, he's looking, he's seeking, he desires to be with you. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who doesn't give up on us. Lord, you're a God that loves us with a never-ending love. Lord, your love is what brought you to the place where you decided to become flesh and into this earth as Jesus Christ. It was your love that enabled you to endure the pain and the agony of the cross. It's your love that seeks after us. Regardless of whether we deserve it, regardless of what we're done, Lord, you stand as a judge, a just judge, but a loving judge who declares we are holy. Not of anything that we could do, but of everything that you've already done in us. Lord, this morning I recognize, Lord, there's people in here who have yet to put their faith in you. Lord, I pray this morning as they hear about this gift of salvation, Lord, that you offer freely. Lord, that this morning they would realize today is their day to feel love like never before. Lord, for those who have lost hope during some rocky times, when the report from the doctors wasn't positive, when the world is crumbling all around them, they've lost their hope. Lord, let them command their soul that they will hope in you. If there's anyone in here, God, whose love's grown cold, they don't feel like they deserve it, They're unable to extend love to others who don't deserve it. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we could be rooted, grounded, established, and firm in you. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.